All right, well, we're going to continue our Christianity 101 here, and, and uh, tonight our, our topic is sin. Um, so I want to start, I want to I look at, at, at some passages, but I want to start just talking about the nature of sin um, and give you some things that, it, that are, uh, help to me, helpful ways of describing sin. Some of them are straight out of the Bible. Others are just ways of describing um, and, and there'll be some, there, there's some overlap in these. I mean, some, some of them are, are like different ways of saying pretty much the same thing. But to, to me, uh, as I said, I find them helpful. So the, the nature of sin, number one, and this is, this is the big one you hear me use a lot, um, is it's rebellion, all right? When, when we talk about being a sinner, and one reason I like to, uh, well, I like to use that term, but that terminology because it's uh, so accurate, I think. But but today, um, people, when you're when you're witnessing to people and all, in fact, maybe this is the case a lot of times, even in churches, a lot of times we don't have a really good grasp on what sin is when we talk about being a sinner. And I had a relative one time, years ago, got offended, you know, by me, he said, calling him a sinner. Really what I was saying is that we're all sinners. I wasn't, you know... <laughs> poking my finger in his face or anything. It just, I just, it just was via email, and I was using that kind of language that we're all sinners, and, and you know we need a savior. And anyway, he took offense to me, and, and he said, "If you don't stop calling me a sinner, you know I'm going to cut off this conversation." And he did. Um, so, but I, but I really think you know people don't really understand what we're talking about because you know that, that's one reason, at least part of the reason that that kind of thing happens. So it's rebellion, rebellion against God, all right? Um, one passage that, of course, always comes to mind thinking about that is Romans 8, 7. We'll read that one. Have a what? No, I didn't, I didn't get one. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I apologize. My printer wasn't cooperating a while ago. Technology's great until it, you know, until it doesn't cooperate. Romans 8, 7. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. <coughs> Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So, so Paul says it's hostile. The mindset of the flesh is, is hostile to God. Um, the old King James uses the word enmity. So there's war between um, a sinner and God. There's a, there's a state of war. So um, why is that? Well, because we're in rebellion. That's what sin is. So you think of, uh, you know, good... Analogy: You think of the Civil War. You've got the the South uh, rebelling against the Union. Um, well, that's just kind of an analogy. But but so what happens? War results because you, you've got one group rebelling. Or you think of the the uh, the Revolutionary War where we were rebelling against um, the King of England. And there's war. And that's what you've got with sinners and God. So sin is rebellion. Uh, we'll see a example of that in a minute but notice here again Paul says it's hostile to God that that is the the mindset of the flesh he's talking about the sinful nature there hostile to God for it does not submit to God's law that is um, otherwise known as lawlessness or again rebellion term is re rebellion indeed it cannot so uh, the carnal mind is at enmity with God. It's not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can be. All right, so um, rebellion is uh, one way of describing the nature of sin. Here, here's another one, a little, little bit different, um, really the same, but a little different way of putting it. It's um, dissatisfaction with one's role. In other words, that's just a way of saying um, we want to be God instead of God being God. Dissatisfied. 
So dissatisfaction with our role. All right. Um, Self-issues. Right. Right. That's right. Exactly. Seeking self rather than rather than the glory of God and, and the will of God. Um, and I'm going to come back to this one too in a minute, but uh, as far as scripture. Uh, but another is, uh, and I'm thinking on this one, James 1, evil desire. Um, James 1, let's see, verse 13. So, and this, this is key, this is also key here when you think about desires, and, and particularly since we're talking about sin, we're talking about evil desires. But um, what it is, we have desires in us that uh, that are wrong, that are that are that are sinful, that are of a rebellious nature, and that's why we're dissatisfied with with uh, with our role, for example. But look at James one thirteen. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and He Himself tempts no one. But each person now here's the part I'm getting at. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So notice that starts with, um, with succumbing to um, wrong desires. Each person is tempted... When he is lured and enticed by his own desire, I mean that's that's really fascinating. It's not, uh, in fact, James is saying explicitly here: it's not God luring you away into sin. God can't be tempted with sin, and He doesn't tempt anybody. Um, Satan does tempt us, of course, but the way that he does that is is work on our weaknesses, which. Um, there's what James is talking about here, our, our own desire that, um, that is corrupt. So that's, that's how Satan pulls it off. I mean, we can't legitimately say, like Flip Wilson used to say, the devil made me do it. <coughs> Sounds good. I mean, that you know, way we can kind of escape responsibility, but, but it's not true. What he does is deceive us by playing on our weaknesses, but it's our own sinful desire like James says here, that lures us away into sin. Then, James says, um, desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So there you kind of see the process there. <coughs> desire, and then uh, sin and death. Keep that one in mind. We'll, we'll come back to, to uh, a passage that we're going to look at in a minute. We'll be talking about that. Um, another thing here, it, it, I like the way Paul says this in, in uh, hang on just a second. Let me. Okay. I like the way Paul says this in Romans 14. Romans 14, 23. This is one of those just sum it up statements. I mean, just kind of says it all here. Romans uh, in con concerning the nature of sin. Romans fourteen twenty three, and I'm thinking specifically about the last sentence there. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So, um, it's not of faith. Whatever's not of faith is sin. That's that's an am <laughs> that's an amazing thing. When you, if you you park on that one for a while and think about it, 
Whatever is not of faith is sin. That's why in the Old Testament it'll say things like the plowing of the wicked is sin. Well, plowing, I mean, that's a reference to what we would, today, what we would call, you know, just a good hard day's work. It'd be like, to bring it into the modern context, it'd be like saying, you know, driving a truck, for the wicked, driving a truck is sin, or for the wicked, uh, being a cashier at Walmart is sin, or for the wicked, working in a warehouse is sin, sin or, or whatever, you know, fill in the blank. The plowing of the wicked is sin. <clears throat> How can that be? Just somebody doing an honest, good, hard day's work. How can that be sinful? Not a faith. In other words, they're not doing it with intentions of, of uh, glorifying the Lord. They're not doing it in trust um, to God and, and with intentions of seeking His glory. It's totally, like Bob said earlier, it's totally selfish, self-centered. It's all about me. Um, and so even, even the, the things that we think of as good um, are tainted by our sin. So in another place in uh, Proverbs, it says that it talks about the prayer of the wicked being uh, sinful. Uh, so that's another thing. I think about that a lot when you hear these surveys and all about how, uh, you know, how important prayer is and how effective prayer is. I've seen stuff on the news before where they do these um, studies and see how patients who, patients who pray, how they do versus patients who don't pray. Well, from a Christian standpoint, I mean, all that's meaningless because just just praying—that's not—that's not what it's about. It, it, who who are we praying to? That's that's what makes the difference. <laughs> so I mean, you can pray to Buddha, or you can pray to um, a rock somewhere or something. I mean, that's not. There's no value in that. That stuff's sinful. Uh, but if you're praying to God through, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in faith, now that's a whole different thing. Okay, so it's anything apart from faith. Any, whatever's not of faith is sin. Um, it's uh, a couple things here too. It's, a, it's an act. When we talk about sin, we're we're talking about action, and um, well, let me say it this way: it can be action or it can be inaction, doing something or doing nothing. It can both be sinful. If you if you if I do what I'm told not to do what the Lord says not, don't do, and I do it, well, that's obviously sin. Or if, if the Lord says do something like love your neighbor as yourself, and I don't do it, that's sin. So it can be active or inactive. I remember uh, one of Leslie's relatives, that uh, one of her aunts that's a, a Jewish, we were, we were having a rare conversation one time. I was talking, I don't even remember exactly what it was all about, but but uh, it, was, it was going good at first. <laughs> Pretty good, because she's not open to, she's not open to uh, discussing these things. Um, but it was going good at first. And then, and then uh, she, she, she made a statement. I can't remember what it was now, but it was, just, it was something interesting. And I said, well, I said, well you know, she was talking about doing wrong. And I said, well, you know, um, the New Testament says that if you know to do good, someone knows to do good and doesn't do it, that that is sin. Because she was talking about, you know, doing certain things, doing bad things, being sinful. And I said, well, you know, the New Testament even says if you know to do good and you don't do it, that's sin. <coughs> and she sat there for a second and then she said, I don't believe that. You know, she was thinking inaction can't be sinful. You, 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 neglecting to do good can't be sinful, but it, it is. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. If you well, if you yeah, and, and a lot of times though we think uh, if if um, neglecting, I mean, we, we think yeah, it's not so bad. I know that I, you know, it'd be good to do this or that, but eh, it's no big deal. Now, Scripture says it's sin. If you know to do good and you don't do it, it's sin. Okay. Oop, lost my place there. Um, another one is lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Um, 
I mentioned that earlier, but that's just the idea of living like there's no law. Let me get you uh, two quote here and a reference. The quote is from the uh, Westminster Catechism here. I've always liked this, the way it's worded here. It's just simple, but. Um, this is this is from the Westminster Catechism, so it's a, a question and answer. And the question, this is question number 14, what is sin? Now, here's the answer. Sin is any want of, and it's the word want there, it's meaning lack. Sin is any lack of conformity to or transgression of the law of God. Lack of conformity to or transgression of the law of God. It's lawlessness. Living like there's no law. If you get on interstate and the sign says speed limit 70 and you do um, 105, you're, that's lawlessness. You're, you're, you're acting as though there's no law. Right, so um, one more thing on the nature of sin here. <coughs> Where is it? Ever think about that? <laughs> Where is it? I mean, we talk a lot about sin, being sinners, all that kind of thing. Where is it? What is it? Now, where is it? This is where it gets really hard. <laughs> hard to deal with. Let me give you a, a couple of, a, a passage here. Romans 7, <coughs> verse 16. Romans seven Paul says, now if I do what I do not want or desire, in other words, for if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. Notice that. First he says, sin dwells within me. Now he says, nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh, the old sin nature. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do not if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Now, Romans 7, a lot of people look at Romans 7 and have a, um, a difficult time um, understanding it all, you know, what Paul is saying there. But uh, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty, I think I'm pretty safe in saying Every, every Christian, while you, you may not fully understand it all, you, you can still identify with it. <laughs> you read it and you go, in one sense, you might, you're thinking, this is a little confusing. In another sense, you're thinking, I know what he's talking about. I, I, know, I know exactly. I know that feeling. I know what it's like to not be able to do what you want to do or, or you know, not want to do some things and do them. 
And Paul says, it's sin within me. Now, let me, let me say that we don't have time, of course, to exegete Romans 7, but, but let me say this, though. He's not, he, he's not taking, removing responsibility from himself, like Flip Wilson, you know. Devil made me do it. And Paul's not saying, you know what, there's some thing in me there, you know, this little demon inside of me that, that um, is causing all this, and it's not my fault. I don't have, you know, I want to do right, and this little, this little demon thing is, is uh, causing all the trouble. Not what he's saying. He's, he's, he's um, when he says sin that is within me, he's saying this corrupt nature resides in me. It's me. The problem is me. And yet at the same time, as a new creature in Christ, he can say, um, it's no more I that do it. So, so we're no longer identified with the sin in the sense that, um, uh, you know, because we're now identified with Christ and we're forgiven and we're born again. So it, it's not, we're not, um, we're not the, the same. We're not the old man and we're not going to be subjected to the penalty of sin. But the sin is in us and, and, uh, and we're the problem. I was uh, just this past week <laughs> reading this book, really good book, but um, on marriage and and uh, the author was really bringing this out very well when he's talking about conflict in marriage. And, you know, it's, um, the, the wife saying it's my husband's fault or the husband saying it's my wife's fault or whatever the case. And, and the author was doing a really good job of, of saying, no, it's you or it's me, you know, um, because we're sinners. We're all sinners. And so the biggest problem we have um, in marriage, and this is true of all of life, um, you know, I'm my biggest problem because of the sin nature dwelling in me. It's in us. Now, years ago, um, I, you probably, some of you heard me say this before because I, <coughs> I, I like this illustration and use it a lot, but I, I remember this song from years ago, um, not recommending it, I just, I just, remember, <laughs> I just remember it, song by T.G. Shepard called um, There's a Devil in the Bottle. Now, this, this is like classic thinking because um, this is the way we treat sin a lot of times. And, and in the song, of course, you know, he's basically, um, <laughs> basically giving an excuse. You know, it's just an old country song, um, crying your beard type song, but he's basically just giving an excuse for his wrongdoing. And he says, there's a devil in the bottle, and it wants me back again. And a lot of people um, latch on to that kind of theology, even if they don't like country music. A lot, a lot of people latch on to that kind of theology and think, you know, there's, there's something out there drawing me, and if it wasn't for that, I'd be okay. But there's no devil in the bottle. That's, that's bad theology. Um, a bottle whether it's a bottle of whiskey or a bottle of perfume, is an inanimate object, and, and it's an amoral object. That means it's not good or bad. It, it, it's, it's not a moral thing. There's no sin in it. The sin, and this is why I like to um, use that, that and out that... Um, analogy to make the point the sin is in us it's in us now if anything's bad corrupt it's probably because we touched it it's like the plowing I was referring to earlier or the praying you know um, the plowing of the wicked is sin the prayer of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord why is that because of the sin inside of them. So what happens is a, a, th a thing that is amoral in and of itself becomes corrupted with our, with our touch. You know, when we, when we handle it, when we touch it, we corrupt it. It's kind of like, uh, you know, handling your, your mother's uh, best linen or something with, uh, with muddy hands or greasy hands after you've been working on the car or something. You, you've just ruined it. And that's what we do when we when we handle things, because the sin is in, is in us. Now, where did T.G. Shepard get the idea that 
you know, I don't even know that he wrote the song, so maybe he didn't. <laughs> maybe he didn't have this idea. But where did the songwriter get the idea that there's a devil in a bottle? Probably from a lot of bad preaching, for one thing, because that has been preached a lot. That 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 kind of theology. Um, the sin is in us, and it is so important that that we understand. That's what James is talking about when he's saying, "You're tempted." I'm tempted, we're tempted when we're drawn away of our own desires. It's coming from in here, coming from inside. The sin is us. The problem is us. It's, it's not. Amen. 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 That's the born-again person. Um, mm. <laughs> well, it can kind of, it, it can kind of bring what's in it. You know, it, it 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 takes away some inhibitions for sure. So yeah, it can kind of bring out what's already there, uh, or highlight it. But <laughs> but it's got to be there for it to be there. So, um, <laughs> all right, let's go to Genesis 3. Where did, where did sin enter the human experience? <laughs> the devil made him do it. <laughs> That's what they tried to say. That's what he tried to say. Adam tried to blame Eve. Yeah, Adam blamed Eve. And there's that man. See, see, nothing's changed. We should do the same thing today. Lord, it's that woman you gave me. If it wasn't for that woman, or you know, it's that creature you put o on the earth. I was doing fine without that. It's or it's whatever. It's that bottle or whatever it is. No, it's me. It's me. Um, we gotta think of ourselves like Paul. You know, Paul says in Timothy. Um, this is a faithful saying, strong way to start, start out a statement, by the way. This is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief, Paul says, or the foremost. He says, I'm the foremost sinner. So he realized, and you can see that in Romans 7, he realized that the problem was inside him. And the same is true of us. All right, let's, I want to read through this and just note some things. <laughs> now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For Notice, by the way, you know, in verse um, 1 there, he, the, serp, the serpent starts out by questioning the word of God. He's, he's, he's trying to get a question mark in, in Adam and Eve's head um, about God's word, God's will. Now here he just blatantly contradicts it. You will not surely die. He's, called, he's saying, God lied to you. You're not going to die. Verse 5. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. Now notice that because that's, that's going back to the dissatisfaction I was talking about earlier. We, we've got roles. We're, we're created um, in the image of God, but we're not God. God has his role. He's got that role. That role is taken. You know, God, God is taken. There are no openings for that position. And yet we want it. And it's like I was saying earlier. Satan can't, he doesn't make us sin. What he does is play on our weakness. So, so he says, and our, our evil desire. So he says to Eve, you know, God lied to you because if you eat, of the tree of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you're going to be like God. 
Now, there's, there's a real irony there because they already are like God. That's what it says in chapter 1 and in chapter 2. He created them, male and female, He created them in His image. They already are like God, but not, um, not enough, apparently. So, I mean, really, it's not that they want the likeness of God. They want to be in God's place. And, and Satan is playing on that evil desire. So he says, you shall not die, contradicts God's word, calls him a liar. God knows that when you eat of, that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So, now listen, listen to what this says. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that, w- that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit. Remember what James said? Back in James 1. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. See, stuff coming from outside of us, like Satan, I mean, he could have came, he could have come and said all of those things that he said, and Adam and Eve could have looked at the you know, looked at Satan, looked at the tree, looked at the situation, looked at the tree again and said, you know what? That don't look too good to me. That's, that's rebellion. God said don't eat it. I don't want that. But she saw that it was a thing to be desired. So she's being, just what James was, was talking about is what's happening here. She's being lured away by her own desire then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they whoop I skip skip an important part here um, it says again verse 6 let me read that again so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise she took of its fruit and ate what God said do not do and she also gave some to her husband underline this part who was with her who was with her sometimes we we uh, we, we get the idea that um well old Eve there I mean she just she just went out there and messed it up for everybody and uh, poor old Adam, <laughs> he's got to suffer the consequences, and then we all got to suffer the consequences. Well, it's interesting, though. You go through the rest of the Bible, and it, it, it's, it's constantly talking about Adam's sin, about Adam's sin for the most part. And Paul says, we all died in Adam. And Christ is the, the last Adam, you know, the second Adam, because just as Adam stood as our representative in the Garden of Eden and failed and carried all of us down um, to destruction with him. He died. We all died. Now Christ stands as our representative, and, uh, and because he lives, we live. So Christ is the second Adam. He's the last Adam, not the last Eve. So where does that come from? What was, what was Adam's sin? Hmm? Passivity. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But you know what's going on there? At least part of it? He, he's not fulfilling the role God gave him. You go back and read 1 and 2. God created man, gave him dominion over all the cattle. So, first, you know, Satan um, subverts God's um, order by going to Eve rather than Adam. He should have been dealing with Adam in the first place. Of course, he's, you know, no doubt he's doing it intentionally. Um, And Adam is there. Why doesn't he say something? 
Why doesn't he do something? <laughs> my, my guess is, going by what James says and what we see here, is um, his desire was to see, are we going to be like God? Yeah, yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, maybe God did lie. God did, he just didn't want us to be equal to him. So they both sinned simultaneously, or maybe Adam sinned first, and, you know, because he didn't step up and do anything. Um, he's, he's going for it um, just like she is from the beginning. And then their eyes were opened, and they saw that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. That's rebellion. She did, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Kind of added a little bit, didn't she? Don't need it. Don't even touch it. Which we don't have any record of God saying that. And and you know, even when when Satan first starts out in verse uh, one, he says, "Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden?" <laughs> God didn't say anything like that. It's just the opposite. He told them all of the trees in the garden were for them, except one. Except one. So, I mean, Satan is, is uh, distorting it, you know, from the get-go. And uh, like Wendy pointed out, Eve's got some, some of her own distortion going on there, too. Mm-hmm. That's why he kicked them out, so they wouldn't eat. Oh well, yeah, they 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 had to. I mean, to to sustain them. That's what it was there for. It was my understanding, but but that's why when that when they did fall, uh, you know, he he kicked them out of the garden. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. He 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 told them they could eat of all the trees of the garden except except the one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, guard the entrance to the garden. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, because, I mean, every indication we have is that they, they would have, you know, it's hypothetical because it didn't happen, but, but um, they would have lived forever there, there in the garden had they not sinned. They would, they would have been able to eat of the tree of life and live forever. So that they, they lost that privilege. That's what it means to die, right? Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. That's right. All right. So you see the rebellion. God says don't eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. They eat. You see the dissatisfaction or discontentment. You might use that word, discontentment. They're discontent with um, who they are. That's, that's, that is uh, um, one thing about <coughs> um, Satan. You know, Paul says be wise to Satan's wiles, um, he hasn't changed his tactics. This is still how he works. Uh, he, he, he still tries to put that question mark in our mind, you know, did God really say that? Did God really say that? And he still uses our um, propensity to, to discontentment. You know, wouldn't, you, wouldn't you rather do something else? Wouldn't you rather be something else? You can't. You can if you just you just do what I'm telling you. You can. He knows it well. That's very good. Yeah, that's right. Yep, that's right. That's right. He knows it well. And there's no faith there because they're they're not trusting God. When you go against God's word, that's that's a sign of uh, lack of faith. You know, you're not tr we're not trusting Him. So God says, don't don't eat of the um, fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that's not just an arbitrary command. I mean, he's, what he's doing for them, he's doing for their good. And it's the same way that he works with us. What he's doing for us, he's doing for our good. So if he says, you know, don't do this, don't do that, do this, do that, there, there's reason and there's purposes behind it. And if we go against that, 
It's, it's a lack of trust. I remember, I wish I had the quote. I'm going to have to find it one time. But I remember several years ago reading talk, uh, John Calvin, and he was talking about complaining. And, uh, and he was saying that that's what it is. It's, it just means you don't trust God. If you complain, whatever it is you're complaining about, what, that's, all, that's all it is. You, you don't, you're not trusting God. Same here, not me. You know, there again, we we haven't changed a lot either, have we? I mean, you, know, you, you go back and you read those accounts in the Bible, and you say, boy, that looks familiar. <laughs> That's what it's there for. That's the the mirror effect, you know. I look at it and I go, wow. Hmm. Yeah, the mirror effect. Okay, and you know, lawlessness. I mentioned, of course, you again. They're they're. That's what they're doing here, violating God's law, living as if there's no law. And, uh, and as we already pointed out, the sin is in them. Sure, Satan's uh, is, is sinful also. But, it, but the, the point is, you know, he can't force them into that. Uh, he's playing on their weaknesses and, uh, and their evil desire. So when did the sin actually take place? The first sin. I'm talking about the, the, in the account we just read. <laughs> Somewhere in there, that's right. I'm, I, you know, I'm not saying I can pinpoint it exactly, but, but it's not the, um, I, 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 I'm, it's not the biting into the fruit. They were already gone before that point. That's what James was saying. You know, you, you're tempted when you're lured away by your own desires, and then desire gives birth to sin. And then sin to death, and so it, it, it winds up being acted out, but it happens in the heart first. So before they ever walked over there and grabbed that piece of fruit, um, the sin was already in the heart. Yeah. So somewhere in there, and this is the only reason I, I raised the question. Like I said, I'm, I'm not saying I can pinpoint exactly where it's at. But somewhere in that conversation with Satan, something happened in their heart, in their heart, before they ever uh, actually took the fruit. Right, that's right. She saw it was a thing to be desired. And, and what that means there is she's falling for what Satan said. He said, you, you eat that, you'll be like God. And so she's thinking, whoa, man. You know, it's kind of like looking in the back of these... Um, <coughs> magazines, and they got the Charles Atlas dude, and say, you know, you order this, and you look like that, <laughs> and you go, man, that's a thing to be desired, you know. <laughs> so that's what Satan's doing. Yeah, yeah, they definitely should have shut it off right at the Adam. Adam should have shut it off right at the start, just like Jesus did. Satan, you know, be gone. Get behind me, Satan. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you think about what Jesus said, for example, in with uh, fornication or, or or adultery, you know, um, um, illicit sex or or adultery. Uh, he said, "You've heard it said, um, you shall not commit adultery." But he says, "I tell you, if you even look upon a woman and lust after her, you've committed adultery in your heart." So that's right. It's a heart matter, and and the sins start there. In fact. Look, um, before we close, look at Matthew 15. That's where the corruption is. Man, if it was in a whiskey bottle, all we'd have to do is go pour all the whiskey out. And 
And uh, you know, we'd be in we'd be in good shape. But it ain't there. <coughs> it's inside of us. Let's see. Look at verse 10, first of all. <coughs> and he called the people to him, said to them, Hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person. This is, you know, Jesus speaking. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. Then the disciples came. Isn't that something? I mean, you know, like some, some folks who would never touch a drop of alcohol because, ooh, man, that's, wouldn't have, don't have any problem gossiping. Totally opposite of what Jesus said. That, that's, that's exactly what he's talking about when he tells the Pharisees, you strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. It's not the wine or the alcohol or whatever going in that defiles you. It's the corruption coming out of your mouth that, that defiles you. But what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. Then the disciples came and said to him, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. Um, let me skip down just a little bit. In his explanation in verse 17, Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. Now, here's the root of sin right here. It's in, it's in the human heart, for the corruption in the human heart. Now, look at verse 19. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. The reason he says that is because that's what the Pharisees were accusing them for, eating without washing their hands. So, out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, um, theft, false witness. And the list could go on and on and on. He just gives a few there. But it starts in the heart. That's where the problem is. So what's the... Um, Boy, I can't close on that note. What's the remedy for sin? <laughs> Jesus, the atoning work of Jesus. That's right. Faith in Christ. So we, we have no way to help ourselves. Say, well, you know, I, now you, you know, you've really helped me tonight realize what a wreck I am. Uh, now what do I do? Well, yeah, we have no way to help ourselves, um, but just faith in Christ. That's why he went to the cross. He went to the cross to take away our sin. In fact, um, just read uh, one quick to you here from Romans, Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. So he says, all have sinned, verse 23, all have sinned, fallen short. In other words, we're all sinners. We're all guilty before God. But we, Christians, verse 24, are justified by His grace, that is, by God's grace, as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood. Now, what is He talking about there? Well, the redemption that is in Christ was accomplished through Jesus' own sacrifice of Himself at Calvary. That's the phrase, by His blood, as a reference to His death, Calvary. So, God put Jesus Christ as a propitiation. What's a propitiation? It's, it's uh, a means of removing sin, and bearing the penalty. That's what Paul is saying. That, that word's used four times in the New Testament, and that's the idea behind it. So Christ simultaneously 
He he removes our sin and stands between us and, and, uh, and God's wrath, bearing the wrath for our sin. And that's how, Paul says, we are justified. Because God graciously sent Jesus to take the punishment that you and I deserve in our place. And notice he says in verse 25, to be received by faith. In other words, that gift, that gift of grace has to be received. You've got to believe, you've got to trust in Jesus for forgiveness of sins and for um, the, the power to live this life um, not chasing after um, our, our evil desires, but following Christ and pursuing holiness. So there's the remedy, faith in Jesus. That's why Jesus went to the cross, to pay for our sins. So we still have this sin nature we've been talking about within us, but are, are we without hope? No. Christ, for, for those of us who believe Christ has died for our sins, removing them, taking the punishment that we deserve, and... He, uh, now we look forward to the future when we will join him and he will actually remove sin from our experience so that we sin no more. guy who died for us and you know at least we could do is live for him right something like that yeah yeah, yeah. Mm. thank god for his grace amen <laughs> amen all right let's pray father we do thank you for your grace lord for loving us um your word tells us you love the world um in this way that you sent your only begotten son to die for us so that whoever believes on him would not perish but have eternal life. Lord, we're so thankful for that truth. We're so thankful for the work that, you, uh, that you're doing in us. And we do pray, Lord, enable us to grow in our uh, trust in you. And Lord, uh, enable us to walk with you and resist temptations to sin and live for your glory. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.